The theme for the afternoon talk is the body of wisdom. When Sonia and I arrived a couple of days ago in Tel Aviv, we went to stay at the home of a good friend, uh, Shlom Zion, who lives in the center of Tel Aviv. And she left us um, a magazine to look at, rather a large, glossy magazine from uh, California. And it was called New Beauty. And the magazine was full of photographs and advertisements essentially encouraging primarily women to have cosmetic surgery. And there was constant definitions and explanations of what to do, where to go, and have every imaginable physical area of the body cut and touched. There were interviews with surgeons and they were saying about their level of job satisfaction there and were asked, was there anything that they really wanted? And one said he wanted an island and another said he would like to have a yacht, uh, etc. It reported in the magazine that in the year 2004, and as we all know, the numbers for cosmetic surgery is increasing, was women who had, to use the surgeon's terms, breast reduction or breast augmentation, which means made bigger, in North America was 98,000 women. And it reminded me that I spoke, speaking to my uh, daughter, lovely 24-year-old, and she said to me a couple of months ago that she was with a friend of hers, um, same age, mid-twenties, who she had known since childhood. And the friend said to her, Nishona, come and see what I've got. And they were out clubbing or whatever. And went into the women's toilet. And the woman lifted up her blouse or a shirt or whatever. And said, look at these, Nishona. I've got some new boobs. (laughs) And I said to my daughter, what what, what did you think? And And my daughter said, well, asked her how much she paid. First thing, and it came to around uh, four thousand pounds, some thirty-five thousand shekels. And my daughter said to her, "Where do you get the money from?" And she said, "My boyfriend paid half, and I borrowed half from the bank." And I went, "Dear, oh dear." And there is such pressure on the body, women, increasing number of uh, men, that in any survey that's 
taken anywhere in our society, so-called civilised society, the great majority of women and men, easily and quickly, as we all know, can name parts of the body that we don't like about ourselves. Hence, the surgeon's knife. Hence, Botox. Hence, these new magazines concentrating on appealing to aspects we don't like about ourselves at the physical level. And it isn't easy to have a clarity and the real quality of genuine comfort and relaxation and calmness with ourselves as we actually are. And it's one of the great tests of our time, the great challenges of our time, to be comfortable and clear physically, as well as emotionally, as well as with our personality, as we actually are. Having the privilege, if I may say, of teaching in various parts of the world, having spoken to women who tell me, say, Christopher, it's not quite like you say, that I did have this operation, or I did have this change, or I'm really considering having this change. Standpoint of the Dharma, the person will say from their experience, I really feel as a result much better about myself in this area. I had this done, or that done, or this done, or that done. But from the Dharma standpoint, the problem may be resolved in one area, but it will move somewhere else. It has to. We can do everything we like to our physical selves. We can spend enormous amount of money, we can worry about it or whatever. But what matters is not so much in the perceived, but in our relationship to ourselves at the physical level. How we perceive. Yeah. very dear friend of mine, her mother's in her 60s. And she visited her mother in her apartment in uh, Stockholm. And she saw her mother. And the mother just had one small change done to the eyes. A little, what we call in English, getting rid of the crow's feet. You know the bird, you know the crow's got feet, the crow's feet. Some people call it happiness lines or whatever. A little tuck here, a little bit of lift here, etc. And she walked in and looked at her mother. <laughs> and the thought, she knew immediately her mother had had an operation. And she looked at her, her mother, and the first thought arose in her mind was, I've lost my mother. Because as we often say in English, the eyes are the window to the soul. And the mother looked so strange with her new expanded eyes and <laughs> right there. And the daughter said she found it difficult for words to come out. She'd look at her mother. Well, well, well. <laughs> so change which has an impact on us easily 
has an impact elsewhere. Dharma teachings is the cultivation of a body of wisdom. A body of awareness. A body of care and attention and being truly at home and comfortable with ourselves. Because it isn't easy for women and men living on this earth with so much pressure on us to actually stay true to our being, to stay comfortable with ourselves. That doesn't mean to say that we have to go into covering ourselves up. It doesn't mean to say that we don't use any kind of uh, cosmetics or go to the hairdresser or whatever. But enough to feel and sense in our life that the relationship to the body, we are at home with our being. And one of the important and perhaps increasingly important functions of meditation is to really experience being at home with ourselves physically. You and I can tell tell ourselves morning, noon and night with our thought, but it's actually with our experience, with the sitting and the walking and being truly present that we feel at home with ourselves. And to really feel that. If not... The pressure upon us just increases. It may be at the moment only a small minority who go to the surgeon, who go for the injections. But not to underestimate how much that industry is growing and growing and growing. How much that industry may be affecting our lives all of us in three, four, five years' time. We're even talking about having vehicles like an ambulance travelling around towns and cities where it parks outside your front door. You walk in, you have a quick nose job on the operating, ta- on the operating table in the ambulance and then go back inside. Even for, us, for those of us with a big nose, it's too much. So, the Buddha speaks a great deal of the body of wisdom. The body of wisdom. And it has different features to it, and I want to touch upon with you a little bit. We just had the small groups. Delight to listen to people uh, in the small group. Lots of natural awarenesses and interests there. Training in shiatsu therapy. Person with a lot of experience uh, with yoga. Uh, acupuncturist. Person involved in mind, mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, programs. Interest in uh, psychology. The, work, the working on oneself. The different practices that people have and are exploring. It's a healthy culture. It's a healthy climate of this looking and working with ourselves. One of the functions of the meditation and a key theme in the meditation is very much about this present moment. It's not just about it. This present moment. And when embarking on the exploration of finding out what a body of wisdom is, Everything comes down to the very bare elements of life. 
and those very bare elements of life include sitting on this earth, walking on this earth, standing on this earth, reclining on this earth, eating on this earth. And in the moments that we do this, we put aside a huge amount. It may be temporarily, but drop so much just to be for this moment, with this moment. And we can forget how much we're putting aside. We're putting aside, of course, naturally, a great deal of where we have just come from. In order in life to take a step into this moment, we have stepped out of the old moments. In order for you and I to be here, we are not in Tel Aviv, we're not in Jerusalem, we're not in any other part of the world. If I take a step in one direction, I take a step away from. My present moment is the moment of opportunity. And it doesn't matter who you are, who I am, what you have done with your life, what I have done with my life, in this moment, it doesn't matter. <coughs> in this moment, there's no Englishman and Israeli. In this moment, there's no significance given to all those experiences which you and I have had. It doesn't matter. So our willingness to explore this moment may give us some opportunity, as one person said in a small group, to find out what it is to be really close to ourselves. To be really close to ourselves. Really experience ourselves. And to see what comes out of it. Because if we don't, we will only be a product of what's around us. We'll just be on the receiving end of everything around us. When you come into the meditation hall and you sit, and for some of you it will be the first time in such a, a room like this, it's no picnic. When you come in to sit, Mind and body do not like it. Do not like it. Body hurts. And one of the phenomena with the pain that arises is we don't know at what point or what place in the body the pain will arise. We can come in in one sitting and it's in the knee and someone said in the group it's in the hip and then it's in the back, it's in the neck, it's in the head, it's in the hand, it's anywhere. And when there is some conflict between the body and mind, there's some stress, there is some pressure. And when there is enough pressure in life, there will have to be doubt. You want to be aware of this. We enter into a situation, at the moment we're calling it the meditation room. It could be the job, the relationship, the studies, the work, the sitting in the traffic jam, 
They're all meditation rooms in different forms. And when there is some pressure, there is the pressure between the mind and the body. The body is here, but it's not a body of wisdom. It's a body with a mind in it which is under pressure. And when the mind is under pressure with the body, there is a conflict. And when there is a conflict, there is a doubt. What am I doing here? This, what am I doing here, is the great mantra of the retreat. Great mantra of the retreat. What am I doing here? When there is conflict between mind and body, which is what makes us unhappy, there can't be unhappiness without the conflict, the mind will naturally want to be somewhere else. It's not a body of wisdom. You're sitting in the traffic jam. Even coming back from Jerusalem, what, night before last, one o'clock in the morning. Where else in the world do you have traffic jams at one o'clock in the morning? Only in this country. <laughs> and so people are tired. And they want to get home. We want to get home to bed. And the cars are going by, slowly, slowly. Body is in one place. Mind is in somewhere else. And one isn't going at the speed that one would wish. So there's pressure. Mind wants to be away from where the body is. Pressure, tension, stress, conflict. Meditation is a body of wisdom, not a body of beauty, not a, a, a body of my body being as I would like it to be. A body of wisdom means that the mind and the body are at home with each other. Heart and mind and body are connected. What we practice in here is a practice for our daily life. Can we find a body of wisdom? Sometimes, as we know, with the pressure, it can be very painful and very difficult. And we enter into the hall and we sit and we're looking for the perfect position. I've only got bad news to report. <laughs> Nobody has found it in thousands of years. And thus we can spend much time looking, how can I get the mind and body together? It's a relationship. And therefore the relationship is one of allowing, giving permission, being patient for the two to come together. And when the two begin to feel at home with each other, then harmony starts. And harmony is precious. And the harmony of the body and mind is very precious. The harmony of body and mind is called the body of wisdom.
years ago, years ago is um, 30 years ago plus, I used to be in the East, a Buddhist monk. Interesting with the small group today that the number of all of us, in fact, in various ways in the group, are exploring bodies of wisdom, long-standing teachings, acupuncture, yoga, shatsu, etc. And it did occur to me, not much of it really has come out of the West at all, it's come out of other traditions. And I think, well, what's the West come up with? And in my period of the time of uh, being in the East, when I f- if I may say, when I first began sitting meditation, there was a huge amount of air between the end of my knee and the ground. Understand? So, I w- because I hadn't, wasn't used to sitting at all. So, we didn't have the lovely comforts of these, like me, sitting on cushions. We, we, it was a wooden meditation hall. There was no glass in the windows. So, every day was Christmas for mosquitoes. And we sat on mats on the wooden floor. And when I took ordination and went to this Vipassana monastery to start, my knees had no relationship, not only with the rest of me, (laughs) but also had no relationship with the floor. So I was sitting, I was like a butterfly with the wings (laughs) up, balancing. It was not only impossible sitting cross-legged to start, but it was utterly impossible to eat. Because I had to get my knee- hands between my knees. <laughs> and whereas the rest of the monks and nuns were looking forward to lunch, I hated it. <laughs> because there was so much pain in the knees. How can you enjoy food when you're in an anxiety attack? <laughs> but it's dealing with the pain. And I just went a few months ago, last year, to visit my old monastery. And one of the monks there, Sudinand, who was a monk for about 23 years, I was a short kid, you know, six years, but he was for 23 years, he said he remembered me and my relationship with my knees, or my non-relationship with them, sitting in my hut, I might have thought I'd been doing some... um, What's that? Rebirthing. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I'm out of the Buddhist tradition. We're into the ending of rebirthing, but anyway. <laughs> no, what I was doing was <laughs> trying to get a bit of light between my knees and get, get there. So sometimes, with working on oneself and stretching the body and stretching... Uh, uh, out. Extraordinary how the body can expand itself, expand itself. And with the settling in, with the sense of harmony, with the sense of uh, well-being, a certain steadiness comes. <laughs>
with harmony, authentic harmony of heart, mind and body, a steadiness will come. And the meditation process is a contribution to this steadiness. Because if not, our life is going to be painfully insecure, unsettled and very unsteady. And when we're unsteady and unsettled and insecure, we keep pointing the blaming finger for it. We keep living in cause and effect. You make me like this. You called others in the present. You called the situation. You called the job, the system. Or you called my past. My parents. What happened to me in the past? This has made me like this. And once we have this view, which is very strong in our culture, that there is somebody to find fault with, somebody to blame, all of that is a lost opportunity to find harmony and well-being. The issue, as I said earlier, is not in the event, it's in the way we relate to it. If my parents have made me like this, if thy schooling has made me like this, if my colleagues, if what this person did to me has made me like this, if that is the ultimate truth, there is no escape. There is no liberation. There is no release. And it isn't easy to say, yes, the world of people and places does influence me but is there an opportunity for me to look at a situation with the body of wisdom is it possible to perceive to look at things in a fresh way and what's, what is the signal for caring women and men to do that what's the inner signal and the inner signal is when the thought arises and the thought says, this is the cause, the accusing finger, and I am the effect. This makes me like this. And when I draw that conclusion, I have stopped learning. When I have this opinion, when I have this standpoint, I'm stuck. When I say this, he, she, past or present, or pressure with the future, makes me like this, I can't grow. I'm stuck. I've decided. But if I say to myself, as a man and woman on the earth, this is affecting me, but I have the opportunity to look at it differently with the body of wisdom, that's different. This is incredible freedom in life. Is there the opportunity to look at this differently? And therefore, I am not a prisoner to cause and effect. Whatever it is, I don't matter, I don't matter what you say. I don't matter what the circumstance. It could be a life-threatening illness. It could be a terrible violence that's been inflicted upon you. It can be a loss of all your money and hard work. It could be a, a crash in every area of life. 
And I still say, if one says that's the cause and I am the effect, it's a great pity. If one says, yes, this has happened, or yes, this is happening, but there is an opportunity to look at it in a fresh way, and I must find that what that is, then that's a great awareness itself. And meditation, to be stable and to be in harmony, is to look afresh. And this pays the great respect to ourselves. There's no greater respect, surely. A few months ago, I come to Israel twice a year. And a few months ago, I, uh, when I was here in October, we have what is called the, the Dharma Facilitators Program. A few people in the hall uh, know it well and connected uh, well with it. And uh, Iran and uh, Leela and Mafaket and uh, others. Shelley, uh, they're great supporters uh, of it. And while in the previous meetings, for people who've had some three years or more of uh, uh, Dharma exploration and uh, practice in the various ways and various uh, places, and while there and talking uh, to uh, uh, Shelley, the manager here, uh, speaking about my visits to Germany, which I go to uh, regularly. And she said that... Uh, she wanted to come. And I wouldn't say there's a great rush of people wanting to go to Germany from this uh, country. And she said, I want to come. She was very focused and very determined to come. So, not long after the visit here, she came. And one or two of her friends uh, said to her, why do you want to go to that country? Why do you want to go there? And sometimes... You and I, in different ways, I'm, I'm sure you've had these experiences as I have. Sometimes our mind, mentally, we don't really know why we need to do something. But something else, as it were, speaks to us. And we, we know we have to trust and we have to follow it through. So I was giving a four-day retreat and the theme of it was... Um, love, sex and dharma. Because sometimes the Buddhist world even is sex? What's that? <laughs> you know, you know, I won't go into it anyway. And, but the important thing about the retreat was it was an opportunity to, uh, to share. What was interesting and because of the, his background to this which Shelley didn't know was at this retreat centre called the Ward House. Not 200 metres away from it was a disused building which was a training school for the Nazis. And when I um, introduced uh, uh, Shelley, of course, made very, very welcome there. Uh, Sometimes, in the entering into a situation with a certain trust, certain uh, determination, certain not sure what the response would be emotionally, historically, or whatever, that the entering into something to experience and be with something because 
in the direct contact with, it changes the pictures. It changes the memory, the relationship, the learning to be with, to be in touch with. In Dharma language, this is called the body of wisdom. Sometimes in life, as we all know, we all have this. We have pictures and images and stories and events which are important and they are important to recognize but sometimes the body, the physical body has to experience, has to get close to something. We know for ourselves. we can talk about India in this room. How many people have put it, how many people have been to India in this room? Oh, there you are, a cold crowd of you, as always. <laughs> One can talk about India. To have been gives another sense. It's the body, the physical body, entering into the situation. We can talk about meditation, morning, noon and night. We can read about it. But to put the body into the environment, to experience and explore, this is the movement of the body of wisdom. What are the risks that we are willing to take? Are there areas in our life to put the body into the event to explore. Therefore, it's not theory, it's not imagination, it's not memory, it's not how I think it is. And that touches something. And this engagement with bringing the body into the event, this engagement with, is a contribution to getting close to situations and equally close to ourselves. I know when you walk into the meditation room, I know, I know what it's like. I know for some of you, oh, it's the nearest equivalent to the hell realms. <laughs> and I know when Christopher or one of the others does this at the end of the sitting, <laughs> it's the nearest equivalent to the heavenly realms. <laughs> But what goes on between the beginning of hell and the start of heaven <laughs> is the exploration. How do we relate to this? How do we feel this through? What is it just to be and just to be settled and just to be still? Can we, when we move, return back in the middle of the sitting to the original posture? Learn to bring mind and body together. Currently in the world of uh, psychology, there's a great interest in mindfulness. Tremendous amount of interest in it. And the importance and the value of mindfulness, which is another way of saying to be a more conscious human being is and each moment of mindfulness is a moment of meditation. People ask, what is meditation? Meditation is mindfulness on a moment-to-moment -moment level. And as many moments as you and I are mindful is as many moments of meditation. And part of the reason for this interest in psychology and in spirituality and in practices for mindfulness because there is, there is a slow recognition that the constant use of our mind 
to keep analysing is not resolving problems. Period. This should be pinned up in every classroom and in every university as a guiding statement. Constant analysing is not resolving problems. Period. It, 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 it should be the new Ten Commandments <laughs> for the secular culture. Reflection and some analysis certainly has a place. But you and I know only too well. We think and we think and we think we're sick to death of thinking. And we think about things we have no interest in. And we think about things that we want to resolve and we think and think and we read all of these books, how-to books, loads of them. So we get more ideas, more thinking and still we're miserable. Something about thinking is not answering issues of our species. If it was, brilliant. But it's not. And therefore the interest in psychology, one of the interests is that mindfulness, pure observation, being present, feeling our way into the here and now, direct experience may be more valuable than just thinking about it. To experience, to feel it through, to sense it through. Now remember that one of the great proponents the great, uh, and uh, founders of the uh, mindfulness-based, the founder of the mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, program, which psychologists are taking so much interest in, was, uh, is John Kabat-Zinn from um, uh, the Boston area of the United States. And I remember giving a retreat in, in 1979 in Barry, Massachusetts, in meditation center there. And John, coming into my uh, room for the one-to-one the -one meetings like we'll be having uh, here over the day, and he said to me, Christopher, he said, I've just had an incredible flash of insight and vision. Remember, he used the word flash, an incredible flash of insight and vision that the practices that we are doing here, on the retreat, that you and I are doing here this, this week, can be really effectively applied for people dealing with terrible pain. And because he worked as a, as a, at that time as a medical scientist in Worcester Hospital in Massachusetts, the doctors were only too pleased when he put together a program using the resources that you and I are using on the retreat, put together a program, they gave him the basement in the hospital, and, and the doctor's only too pleased, because the patients were saying, we've had surgery, we're still in pain. We haven't had surgery, and we, we're still in pain. We don't know if it's the pain in the mind, or the pain in the body, or the pain in both. And, and John Kabat-Zinn said, send them to me. We do mindfulness practice. We do sitting and walking meditation. 
we'll do movement therapy, movement practices. And people reported such a shift in their relationship to pain, such a shift that it changed people's lives. And out of that has come this uh, remarkable movement of uh, John Kabat-Zinn. One person, one realization, one vision, one flash, that was the word he used, one flash of insight. And the outcome still flows on. So in our exploration, we see what works for us. And there are some themes that go with it. Being right here and now. Looking at the gaps that occur between mind and body. Learning to relax into the present moment. Practice of letting go of a lot of unnecessary, unhelpful thinking that's going on. Taking and care and checking with regard to the posture. Knowing, yes, it is not an easy practice to deal with. We could make it a lot easier. We could have ten-minute sittings and an hour for a cup of tea. People say, oh, what a lovely time. But would one have got really close to oneself? So it's worth the exploration and the uh, investigation what it is to be, to see what comes out of it for us. Not only for ourselves, but also for each other and for others. Mindfulness, consciousness, attention to breathing, experiencing body and mind being together, the love of the silence, precious moments of stillness. All of this are real keys. All that we can do as teachers is to say, as the Buddha said two and a half thousand years ago, lovely rhythm in the Pali, Ehi pasiko o panayiko pachatam vedita bo vinhyuti. You have to see for yourself through your own experience. That's all you have to do. You see for yourself, through your own experience, what is wise and healthy for you. And when you, when we see through our own experience, it is the body of wisdom. This body of wisdom matters, not cosmetic surgery. May all beings live with mindfulness. May all beings see things clearly. May all beings live with a profound sense of harmony.